Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. The time's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host Natalie Springle is up next. Good morning and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with the help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. This morning, our show is about the Down East Fisheries Partnership. Today's coastal economy relies almost entirely on lobster. Gone is the diversity of the region's recreational and commercial fisheries. The Down East Fisheries Partnership is an unprecedented effort to restore one of the world's great ecosystems by reconnecting the rivers of eastern Maine to its coastal waters. So on our show today, we're going to hear from some of those partners about their work to help sustain fishing communities in eastern Maine forever. And I'm looking forward to having a conversation with our guests in the studio today. It's going to be an interesting one. Um, I have three guests in the studio today, and a little bit later we'll be joined on the phone by another one. Um, For starters, here in the studio, we have... um, Anne Hayden from Manamit. Hi, Anne. Nice to have you. Hi, Natalie. Thank you for having us. Uh, we have Jacob Vandesandy from Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Natalie. And uh, we also have Charles Rudlich from the Sunrise County Economic Council. Hi, Charles. Hi, thanks for having us. Great. Uh, and then a little bit later, we'll have um, Robin Alden join us from the Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries, formerly known as Penobscot East Resource Center. Um, so before we jump into the topic at hand, I wanted to give our guests a chance to introduce themselves and uh, share a little bit about uh, their organizations and how they got to the work that they do. So, um, Anne, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about your work with Manif- Manamet and how it connects to Down East Maine. At Manamet, we are applying science and engaging people to sustain our world. So the the opportunity to work with groups in eastern Maine to restore uh, an incredible ecosystem and once very productive fisheries is something that we jumped at. And that's my role at Manamet is to coordinate the Down East Fisheries Partnership. And uh, what was your trajectory to get to this kind of work? Oh, I have a long history in working uh-huh. in fisheries in Maine. In fact, I've served on the board of the Penobscot East uh, Resource Center and did a lot of work with the Island Institute and other organizations along the coast uh, on fisheries issues. And uh, what I, my um, original entry into it was serving on the uh, shellfish committee in my hometown of Brunswick. Oh, great. Great. 
Well, thanks for coming. Welcome. Um, Jacob, how about you? Tell us a little bit about your organization. Now, we've had folks from Maine Coast Heritage Trust on the show before. I don't think we've ever had you on the show before. And I don't think that the folks from Maine Coast Heritage Trust that we've had on the show before have been um, focused on fisheries-related stuff. So tell us a little bit about your work and how you got there. Okay. I'm a land protection project manager for Maine Coast Heritage Trust, and I work in Washington County. We have an office in East Machias. Maine Coast Heritage Trust is a statewide land conservation organization. Uh, We work from Kittery right to the St. Croix, but we, you know, so people don't necessarily think of us as a fisheries organization. But when looking at at coastal communities and the sustainability, uh, both culturally and ecologically, it's a very natural connection with the rivers. And so we have, we started a rivers initiative that's very focused on, on these connections between the community and the ecology and the rivers and the ocean. And I was hired, I've been there for about three years, and I'm a fisheries biologist by training. And I've been working in diadromous fish restoration in eastern Maine for more than 20 years. So it was sort of a natural fit when I came on board. And we are an organization that supports other land trusts statewide. And so it's a very natural to work within this partnership to really look, we know we can't do this work alone. So the partnership is a great opportunity to bring expertise to the table and, and really work together to, to support these rivers and the connectivity and the coastal fisheries. Great. And um, the geography, sort of the geographic range of your work, I know Maine Coast Heritage Trust runs the whole coast. How about you? I'm Washington County. You're Washington County. Yep. Great. Okay. And Charles, you're with Sunrise County Economic Council, a community development organization, and also in Washington County. Tell us a little bit about what Sunrise County Economic Council is up to. Okay. Uh, the council's mission is to create jobs and prosperity in Washington County. Um, we take a pretty, well, both a narrow and a broad approach. Um, narrow in that we really are focused on Washington County, especially the 32,000 people who live there year-round. Broad in that we really try a broad range of strategies on how to rejuvenate the economy and really give it a better foundation um, to grow in the future. Um, Most of that's pretty conventional, loan programs and small business support. But when we can, we like to take some longer-term investments of time and focus, and that's what the fisheries partnership is, or at least our role in it. It's a way of really changing the resource base. So the hope that a generation from now, there'll be a pretty large group of small businesses that are making their living off this resource base. Great. And how did you come to this work? Well, I grew up in Washington County, which is probably the most important thing. Um, I grew up in Harrington on a dairy farm um, and went away to school um, and then actually came back and interned at Sunrise County in the 90s. Um, And then actually went away, worked in community development in other parts of Maine, and then went to law school um, and worked in private practice in southern Maine for a while. And then I had a chance to come home and I worked for Pine Tree Legal as the Pine Tree Legal attorney in Washington County and then eventually Washington Hancock County um, for about five years. And it really brought home the need to change the economy. I mean, our economy just is not producing enough living wage jobs. And working at Pine Tree Legal, I really saw firsthand what that means to a family when there isn't a living wage job for one of the adults in it. Um, And Sunrise County, I was fortunate and thankful that I'm able to work there now. I mean, I'm thankful that we're able to work on that issue. Um, Because I think at least in Washington County, it's one of the most important issues out there. 
Great, great. Um, so we have um, organizations who represent sort of more conservation-oriented interests, um, an economic or council organization, um, an organization that traditionally is more of a land trust organization, and you're all coming together around um, attempting to sustain fisheries into the future through the Down East Fisheries Partnership. So let's define what this partnership is all about. Um, and give us the scope. What is the Down East Fisheries Partnership? Who's involved? Um, and what is it trying to do? Well, as Jacob said, our goal is to restore the fishery so that the communities of eastern Maine can sustain themselves forever by fishing. So bringing back the diversified fisheries economy that once was um, so uh, basic to the vibrancy of the economy and the communities of this region. And the idea for the partnership came from the um, organizations in this region. And, and when Robin comes on, she's, she can really tell the origin story in recognizing that any one organization or any one type of organization could not solve this problem because it's, it's complex and has a number of drivers. So we now have nine partners, so including the three that you've already heard about, uh, the Washington County Council of Governments, the Maine Farmland Trust, the Down East Salmon Federation, the Down East Institute in Beals, and the College of the Atlantic are currently partners. And I say currently to, so that people realize that we are open to any group or any individual or any business that thinks they would like to be part of achieving this larger vision and has something to contribute. And um, I'd love to hear from all three of you sort of what your, in your own words, what this larger vision is. Who wants to take the first crack at it? Go for it, Jacob. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that Washington County, Eastern Maine, Washington Hancock County are a really unique place in the world, and we have a really unique opportunity. Um, historically, fisheries were very important for the economy and the identity, the culture of this place. And while we still retain all of our native species, many of them are in, you know, the numbers are low, and we have an opportunity as compared to the rest of the eastern United States, to to restore them to historic levels. So with some focused effort, I just I see the, an opportunity to do something that's really unique nationally in this area where if we can we can get this connectivity and and these fish will will recover. We haven't, you know it's not all paved. We have intact forests, we have these amazing rivers and these fish and communities who care and, and, and are really interested. So I, this gets me excited, the opportunity to do this. How about you, Charles? What do you see as the big vision? Well, uh, for us, I think it's, you know, now in Washington County, we have, you know, several hundred, actually several thousand families that make their living um, from harvesting, you know, seafood. And, of course, many others who make it and make a living, you know, building boats and traps and, you know, in distribution and processing. Um, and that's really an important part of, you know, how the communities on the coast, especially the ones on the points, you know, Jonesport, Lubeck, Eastport, Korea, you know, how they function. Um, and for us, it, you know, our vision is that there will be um, several fisheries that are making contributions that are similar to what lobster is making now. I mean, lobsters, you know, really keeping the economy going in a lot of these towns. Um, and 
uh, I'll be frank, some of our concern is if lobster just returns to his, uh, its historic catch level, we're looking at pretty massive economic dislocation in, uh, in these p- communities on the points. Um, and, I mean, our thought is that, I mean, we hope the lobster boom goes on as long as it possibly can, um, but we really want to be laying the groundwork for other fisheries um, if that would ever change. And even if it doesn't change, I mean, there's, an, you know, there's people who can't get a license. And there may be opportunities in these other fisheries or for lobstermen to fish more of the year and have a more um, – to rely on a few species instead of one. A little bit more like it once was when fishermen were much more div- – had the opportunity to be more diverse in what they were targeting. Yes, but also I think we have an opportunity because we have the example of the lobster industry of how a fishery can be managed by the fishermen and also how it can – brand itself and position itself so that the prices don't fall um, when, when you have sustained high catches. Um, we didn't know how to do that before, honestly, and a lot of people worked really hard and caught a lot of fish and didn't make much money. Um, and I think we have an opportunity to do it better this time. And Charles just talked about um, fishermen being involved in managing the fishery themselves. Um, From your perspective, having been involved in a variety of fisheries issues in Maine for a long time, what does that look like? Help us understand what that means. What he said is so important. And people don't realize that Maine's lobster fishery is internationally recognized for its self-regulation. And that is part of the key to the success of the, of the lobster fishery. And what we're trying to do is apply what works in the lobster fishery to the other fisheries. And, and the um, conventional wisdom is that fishermen can't regulate themselves. And this is absolutely wrong. And there are, the keys to it are owner-operator, the, the person who owns the lobster license and the boat is the one who is out there every day seeing what's happening and can apply that knowledge to their to the management of the fishery. And the other key is territoriality. When you are fishing in a limited territory, then you have an incentive to ensure the sustainability of the resource in that area. Great, great. Do you have something to add, Jacob? Great. Um, so we're going to hear from Robin in just a few minutes, I think, to, to hear a little bit about the changes that were happening um, in our fisheries that sort of precipitated this desire to come together um, among a variety of different people to and different organizations to work towards this larger vision of um, restoring fisheries. What's the connection? And, and, and I think this will weave throughout the show. What's the connection between fisheries at sea? Um, and fisheries in our rivers and streams? Well, I think through, I mean, I guess the biggest piece of this that, that sort of came out was was the work that Ted Ames was doing around river herring and their, and spawning stocks of codfish. So he essentially looked at, at historic spawning areas going back to logs from fishermen from as far back as late 1800s and their spawning aggregations and found a relationship between the spawning aggregations of codfish, haddock, hake, and and the winter wintering areas of juvenile river herring. And this was sort of an aha moment for for a lot of people in realizing that river herring, juvenile river herring are a really important food source for codfish. 
and that the decline of river herring may, and overfishing certainly may have led to the decline of the codfish, and this may be a key piece to bringing back the groundfish. So we, one of the great things about working with river herring is that if, if you open up access to rivers, they will recover. I've worked as a salmon biologist for many years, and the salmon have been less responsive. You can open up the rivers and take out dams, and, and the salmon are, we've, we're holding on to the salmon, but they have not thrived, where with river herring we found is if they have access to the habitat, they will return, the Penobscot being a classic example. Since the opening of the, the VZ Dam, the river herring populations have rebounded, and there, there's you know over a million fish returning in, in a short period of time. And so we strongly believe that if we can create this connectivity in all of our rivers and really get river herring numbers up to historic levels, this has a great potential to help these cod stocks to recover, to provide that important food source at important times of the year so that we can see that recovery. So that's a, that's a message of hope, which is really heartening, um, especially in the springtime when there are um, river herring running in a lot of our local streams. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to welcome Robin Alden to the show. Um, Robin is on the line with us. Hi, Robin. Hi. Great to have you. Um, so Robin is with the cent- Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries. Um, some of our listeners might know it more familiarly with, as the Penobscot East Resource Center. Um, and Robin, you have been um, at on the ground from day one in the Downey's Fisheries Partnership. So tell us a little bit first about what the Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries is, and then we'll jump into the partnership. So Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries is an organization that is um, our mission is to secure a future for uh, fish, fisheries and fishing communities in eastern Maine and beyond. And we think this place, the way Jacob said earlier, is a place where uh, people care about fishing. We have many, many fishing communities, over 50. We've got 3,000 people directly working you know, uh, with licenses. Um, this is a place where fishing matters and a place where we think that um, it's possible to do fisheries right, um, even though the climate is changing and um, markets change and, uh, you know, there's lots of adaptability that's needed, but we think we can set up um, a, a, a structure that makes it possible to really make a living off of the water f- for the long term. And we work with collaborative science, um, working with many, many partners and many fishermen. We work with um, education with Eastern Maine skippers, um, and we work with a lot of fishermen on things like this collaborative scallop management that the state of Maine is doing, and uh, many other examples. And so your work at the Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries is um, really quite in tandem with the overall mission of the Downeast Fisheries Partnership. Um, tell us a little bit about what what was happening in the fisheries a few years back when you and some of the original partners um, came together and decided that it was time to increase the amount of collaboration among various different organizations in the region um, towards fisheries restoration and enabling communities to keep subsisting on fishing? Well, I think it's really a recognition on the part of all of us original partners that um, this work requires many different types of organizations, many different types of people and communities, and that no single organization can do the whole job by itself. Um, And that's really the basis of it. And how long has the partnership been around? Well, I have to, I always have to ask Anne. (laughs) (laughs) Anne, how long has the partnership been around? Almost five years. Okay, great, great. 
And what was going on five years ago when you guys came together? What was going on in fisheries management that said, you know, now's the time? Um, I think, so So if you look at the original partners, um, we were fisheries organizations, Danny Salmon Federation, ourselves. Um, we met uh, the people from Manomet um, and realized that they had the capacity to support our partnership because one of the problems with small organizations trying to do big jobs is that you don't have enough people um, to organize. You don't even have the time to even figure out when you're going to get together with your partners. And so Manomet had that capacity and had experience with working with major partnerships. And so, um, and then in addition, there was this growing recognition that, um, surprise, surprise, the rivers are connected to the ocean. Um, and so we had an opportunity you know, the work that Danny Salmon Federation was doing with river restoration at that time um, uh, actually was going to have a big impact on the marine environment. And we've been working um, since the, our founding in 2003, and actually the people who were involved for long before that on trying to figure out why has groundfish co collapsed? Why have we lost one of the major legs of our stool that, that holds up our fisheries economy? Um, and <clears throat> the recognition that the forage fish that are, you know, the alewives in particular, um, might be a key to restoring nearshore groundfish stocks was a was a major motivator. And looking at it from a, a, a management or a policy perspective for a minute, um, so that the groundfish collapsed, um, and let's just assume, hopefully, that the work of the partnership and other folks in the region in the coming decades will be wildly successful and the groundfish will co come back. What what needs to happen in order for um, folks in our communities to be able to sort of re-engage in that fishery? What's going on from a, a management framework or a policy framework? So we always talk about the um, that in order to have uh, sustainable fisheries, you have to have uh, abundant resources. So that's all of the management thing. You have to uh, have to have the access rights to fish, and you have to have the ability to make a living, which is the shoreside infrastructure and the price, all the elements that go into that. So the critical thing for the state of Maine with groundfish is that um, we have lost access rights to fish for groundfish in federal waters, which is three miles outside of three miles. And this is a pivotal issue. The, the groundfish resource in the Gulf of Maine, meaning from Cape Cod to the Canadian border, has been privatized. And 100% of whatever is rebuilt currently uh, rests on permits, which are largely held by out-of-state boats and to some extent by um, some southern Maine uh, fishermen, some very few people in the mid-coast region still have permits with quota on them, but they, they too don't have much. And so uh, long-term, we think that um, there will have to be some kind of either uh, some major policy innovation to restore access rights to small-scale ground fishing so that a lobster-sized uh, scale operation in eastern Maine has the right to perhaps do a hook fishery or whatever. Um, and we've been working on a number of elements of that 
for years trying to set the stage for it. Uh, research with hooks, doing um, a lot of things. But the important thing for the partnership is that by building hope in eastern Maine that it's possible to rebuild these fisheries that Jacob was talking about, um, we will have a constituency that can support a policy change like this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you can overstate the importance to the communities to the you know to move towards this change in in, in management policy. You know, it, it it won't help us at all. We could restore these ground fish, and if they're all being caught by large boats from out of state, then there's not a whole lot of incentive for us to really move forward and do the hard work of restoring these populations. Natalie, there's one more thing I want to say um, yeah. about the importance of the partnership. We've been talking about ground fish, but I think we absolutely must not ignore the incredible diversity of resources that um, Eastern Maine communities have available. The clams, the mussels, the seaweeds, the um, periwinkles, you name it. Um, And if we're going to manage those sustainably in the long run, these are local resources. These are near shore resources that um, respond to changes in salinity or currents or whatever. And it's local harvesters who know that. And I think the clam committees are a good example of this. So the partnership is going to make it possible to support and include many communities and many, many people in thinking through how can we actually fish these things that we have near our shore forever. And that's the, um, the partnership is going to be able to support that. What's your uh, what's your vision for five years down the line um, related to, you know, if the partnership is on the trajectory of success? What's what's happening in five years, and then again, what's happening in twenty years? In five years, I hope we're ready to make the groundfish policy change. Um, in uh, and. I hope we have done a lot of the scientific synthesis that we're doing that is looking at everybody who's studying every little bay and whatever so that we have that information accessible to support local communities who are involved in thinking through how can we keep our scholars sustainable in our bay or how can we um, make sure that the eelgrass isn't being ruined or how, how can we um, figure out what's going on with clams because they're only setting on the east side of the bay or the west side of the bay um, so that we have that sort of system and the communications among the communities um, starting to be set up. Uh, in 20 years, I hope we have uh, many uh, fisheries organizations and and communities that are actively involved in working with the state and when necessary the federal government on the management of their resources the way the lobster fishery has done over the years great um what really strikes me about the partnership is um how visionary it is you're really collectively talking about um enabling our coastal communities in maine to move forward into the future, being able to rely on access to fisheries, access to places to sell the fish, um, and the ability for our communities to 
keep thriving and being resilient in the face of change. Um, so, Robin, before we let you go, um, what what keeps you hopeful in this work? You've been doing fisheries work for a long time. Our listeners might be interested in knowing that you have been the commissioner of Department of Marine Resources, um, and you've been really at the forefront of a lot of this work for, gosh, I want to say several decades. Um, so, what keeps you what keeps you hopeful? Uh, so, one thing that people in Maine don't realize is that uh, Maine is unique in the U.S. and actually in North America in having thriving small-scale fisheries. Um, in many, uh, and we've had a number of international meetings that we've pulled people together, and they say, you know, because the lobster fishery is so well-managed and so successful right now, you have people who care about nearshore fishing. And most develop- of the developed world has lost that and has a consolidated, more industrial approach to fishing or a purely recreational approach. So we are we have a unique opportunity here to make this um, continue. But as Charles said earlier, we can't depend on one fishery to, to sustain that. So that's there's the root of the um, optimism. Um, one of our uh, one of the Eastern Maine skippers students from uh, Millbridge just went over with um, our staff to the slow fish meeting in Genoa, Italy, where she had a chance, this um, high school senior, Betsy Brown, had a chance to meet with small-scale fishermen from all over the world. Um, There are people everywhere trying to say communities need to be able to feed themselves with the fish that are near there. And I just think Maine's in a great place to make this happen. Thank you so much, Robin. Do you have any parting thoughts before we let you go? No, I'm just so grateful for all of the people. And and I think having Jacob and Charles on is wonderful because these are not fisheries organizations. These are people who have seen that they can contribute to the future of of fisheries. And and this is what it's going to take is a a really broad scale. This is not a science issue. It's not just a community organizing issue. It's an economic issue. It's a land use issue. Um, and that's what the partnership offers. Great. Thank you, Robin. Well, thank appreciate you your time. And thanks for giving us all the chance to talk about it. Great. Um, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations. This is your host, Natalie Springle, from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program. And our show today is about the Down East Fisheries Partnership. We just heard from Robin Alden from the Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries. Um, and in the studio with me today, I have Jacob Van de Sandy from Maine Coast Heritage Trust, Charles Rudlich from Sunrise County Economic Council, and Ann Hayden from Manomet. Um, and uh, you listeners... Um, might very well have some thoughts or some questions for our studio guests. Um, so we invite you to go ahead and give a call. We're opening the lines. Um, the number is one 625 9378 That's 1-866-625-WERU. So if you have some thoughts or questions related to fisheries um, and the connection between fisheries and the vitality of our coastal communities here in the eastern end of Maine, um, feel free to give us a call. And so... Um, it was just we were just chatting with Robin um, and uh, her her hope for the future and her visionary approach is really remarkable. What, what what kind of reactions do you guys have to some of the things that she may have said? 
Robin, in, in a lot of ways, is uh, one of our visionary leaders. And uh, when she lays it out, people say, wow, I want to be a part of that. And it's exciting. And it's the same if Dwayne Shaw from the Downey Salmon Federation is here. You listen to him and you say, salmon, yes, we want to help with the salmon. Um, so, so that's exciting. I think that the, it can't be overstated Robin's point about small-scale fisheries. Now, we as a society in general tend to think that bigger is better. And, you know, we're not talking about restoring coastal fisheries because it's Maine's cultural heritage or it's going to support tourism, both of which things are true. Uh, but it's the small-scale fisheries that are key to restoring fisheries in general. Ted Ames often refers to the uh, coastal shelf as the popcorn popper of producing cod. And if we protect the spawning areas and the juvenile fish on the coastal shelf, they will grow to migrate offshore where they can participate in a bigger fishery. Um, I think we have a caller. Uh, thank you, Anne. I think we have a caller named Matt from Monhegan. Matt, welcome to the program. How are you? Great, great. What's on your mind? Well, I'm one of the last few that have ground fish permits here in the middle of the state. And, great. Uh, I'm glad you called. I feel, like yeah, I feel like you're all standing around holding hands singing Kumbaya. You <laughs> greatly underestimate the ruthlessness and the incompetence of National Marine Fisheries Service. And the National Marine Fisheries Service manages everything from three miles out. And if any fish are going to come back... That three-mile line has to be pushed off because National Meat Fisheries Service will give it to the highest bidder. They've proven it time and time again. And National Meat Fisheries Service has no interest in small boats and small people. It's just like the farmers when the, when the agriculture people came in and said, get big or get out, get big or go home. That's what they want. And I never thought there was a concerted effort to put us out of business until the last few years when I've witnessed it. You know? If we want to go fishing in a little boat now, we have to get an observer. We got to pay for it at seven, eight hundred bucks a day. We got to put a VMS on, a vessel monitoring service. They're, they're ruthless and they're cruel and they simply don't care. It's about money, and that's all it is. All you, know, you got to do is look at the scallop industry in New Bedford. You know they they own it. And when you look at the, even Maine's little scallop industry, the two hundred pound a day guys scratching away. It starts on the first of March. They get to fish in federal waters for a little while, and a couple of big boats come up from New Bedford, scoop it up, 70,000, 80,000 pounds a trip, and off they go. And you come back and wonder what you're going to do for the other 50 weeks a year with your little scalloper. Yeah. And, uh, until there's some, some way to get to National Reef Fisheries Service, we don't have a snowball's chance in down below of making anything work because if the fish come back, there's going to be a couple of big draggers up here taking care of the hate problem down east, you know, or the cod problem or whatever's on the shore to be caught. And uh, the other half of that scenario is the globalization of everything. You have NAFTA and GATT. The price of haddock and the price of codfish is only going to go so high, and then it's going to come from somewhere else. It already does. When you go in the Hannaford and look around, we were down and lost a haddock in here a couple of winters ago, and I was in the freezer waiting to get some bait. And there mm -hmm. were six pallets of pollock harvested in the Bering Sea, processed in China and then sent to Gloucester to go to Gorton's to get breaded and packaged, and then sent out in a truck to Moline, Iowa, for somebody that wants fish and chips, fish stick. So you have a huge, yeah. huge 
force that's fighting against you. Some days it's all you can do to get up in the morning. That's what you're looking at. It's not, you know, let's get the LYs back. The LYs are going to get caught offshore by some big heron boat, some big midwater boat. Well, I certainly wish you the best of luck, but it's a big uphill battle. Thank you, Matt. It's I really appreciate your call from the perspective of someone who's in the trenches fishing um, every day. So thanks so much for your call. Um, Anne looked like she might have some thoughts, um, though I saw some nodding in the room in general. Um, but Anne, so when you um, give us some thought related to Matt's comments, if you could also define what the National Marine Fisheries Service is, I think that'd be helpful. Sure. Thank you, Matt, so much for calling in. Um, that is the other side of looking at the fisheries problem is from the perspective of somebody who has a federal permit and a small boat. And it underscores the difficulty of um, this is not a problem we're going to solve overnight. The National Marine Fisheries Service is the agency of the federal government that is charged with management of fisheries beyond three miles. And the way the system is set up, um, Matt is right, it does favor the larger vessels. Now, I don't want to get into the weeds too much on the scallop issue. This is a fascinating example of main scallop fishery, main scallop resources have been restored. And within three miles, they're managed sustainably through the system of co-management, which is the fishermen working with the main Department of Marine Resources to sustain the harvest every year. Now, the harvest, this just outside three miles, the uh, resources also come back and the big boats are coming up and, and taking those uh, scallops. So, it is that's part of that's part of the struggle. But we are working on state fisheries because Maine has a history of working with fishermen to sustain resources, and we are going. We're working our way out. It's not going to be an easy lift at the federal government. Thanks, thanks. Um, I think we have another call. We have Tom from Lincolnville Beach. Thanks for calling, Tom. You're welcome. A um, couple things concern me very much. So I live in a coastal community, mid-coastal community. Uh, my friends are all fishermen. I'm not a fisherman, but I listen to their concerns, and they all feel they have no voice. I hear all this discussion about management and um, or science, and that's wonderful, except uh, Matt did a great job calling in from Mohegan, but there's a huge disconnect between the actual fishermen. And I'm sorry, but a representative is not a fisherman, and you guys need to do what other people do. I, I also work with drug advocacy and groups, and I focus on the treatment and recovery, not the, the advocacy and the alliances and organizations. And by the way, they're not listening to this program, and they're not going to call you. So you guys have to get out. You guys, and I say that, I hear everyone, Jacob, and everyone talking. There's a wide variety of people on this panel on this today that do have that contact. But that is critical. There's still a huge disconnect. And uh, five years, oh, by the way, looking 20 years in advance, why don't you focus on having more fish and more fishermen instead of more organizations helping sustain fisheries? Just think about the people and the fish, not so much the organizations that are supposedly going to bring this about. So that's my views, and I do support my local fishermen and I feel sorry for them for the cost they have to bear. And by the way, three miles, if you live in Addison, Maine, I think it's three miles before you get to the ocean. 
So uh, just think about what does three miles mean? Maybe you could explain that. Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for your call, Ty. I think that um, you raised some really critical topics uh, related to making sure that the work is in the best interest of the folks who are engaged in fishermen. Um, So let's go ahead and have... um, I think that was Tom. Sorry about that, Tom. Let's go ahead and have Charles comment on that. Well, I would agree that I know for our five-year vision, it is really about who's fishing where. Um, If I think narrowly about river-run fish, you know, it's right now we have three commercial fisheries in Washington County um, for river herring, for alewives. Um, We have six other rivers and actually part of another one that do not have commercial fisheries, and there's monitoring going on on two of those. Five years from now, I would hope we would have at least five commercial fisheries um, for river herring and be on our way to having all nine rivers with significant potential um, on their way to have a municipally managed local fishery. And most of those fisheries are actually bid out to a single fisherman who um, catches right now the river herring for bait. Um, but it's an important part of the bait economy, an important part of making a livelihood for those fishermen who have those contracts, and an, and a small but still a not insignificant source of revenue for the towns that manage the fisheries. Um, and I, you know, we definitely agree that the success of this is going to be measured in how many, you know, we think of fishermen as small businesses, but how many fishermen are out there, how many small businesses there are out there. Um, that are using the resource. Thanks so much for your call, Tom. Great, great comments. Um, we have another caller on the line, um, and uh, this time we have Ty. Uh, Ty is from Tenets Harbor. Ty, what's on your mind? Oh, I'm just um, waking up after a long night of chasing some alewives around, and um, I'm super thankful for um, Lou Flagg's work that he did, you know, 20 years ago to. Uh, start reintroducing and start cleaning up some habitat and moving a couple of dams and listening to the conversation today and thinking about a five-year plan it's like that's really exciting but it's more than it seems like a 20-year plan is um what really sees the benefit and a couple of fisheries that come to mind is the um chemical oyster you know and 20 years ago a few guys had an idea of these might grow here and now you've got a little town that's really thriving around that and i think that um it's the same with the halibut you know there's always used to be a few halibut but you know we could have a small fishery we could get 25 fish or what have you and they work at all levels to um, make it happen and a lot of little stores have got fresh halibut in them and People are catching some fish, and it may be small, but it's um, a good dinner for quite a few people. And I think that um, that I've seen an attitude shift, really, um, that every brook matters. And if we could all kind of bring that forward with us, that every brook does matter, and just keep our eyes on that and keep it clean and keep it healthy and stock it if we can, and let's just see what swims in there and what flies over it and who's happy that it's full of a biomass. So Thanks. I think that it's really nice to um, have a commissioner that listens. And if we can kind of align ourselves 
so that it's kind of a tag team all the way to the federal level that somebody knows someone that they can trust and that will advocate for a um, prosperous resource and a prosperous state and everybody's got Mother Nature held up first, I think that it's bound to be a success. Thanks so much, Ty, um, for your comments. I was, again, seeing a lot of nodding in the studio. Um, we, we have one more call from Frank, but before we go to you, Frank, um, I think Jacob uh, from Maine Coast Heritage Trust had a couple of thoughts related to Ty's comments. Thanks so much for calling, Ty. Yeah, Ty, I really appreciate your perspective. And, you know, just talking about all these little streams is we, we certainly have some runs in the state of Maine. Damariscotta comes to mind, restoration on the Penobscot. And down east, we have some rivers, as Charles said, there, where there's commercial harvests. But what made this what made this whole ecosystem work is is the variety of different streams. There are hundreds and hundreds of streams and rivers, lakes and ponds that fish had access to, and it's that connection that made it all work. So if a river has a challenge one year, the river next door is going to have a good run, and we have that flexibility, particularly in light of climate change. And so we really need to look at every stream, every every pond, every lake, and ensure that that the fish have good access to those places. And I think that we'll we'll see the populations respond, and we'll see these community benefits to the fishermen, to the communities, both you know ecologically, economically, and culturally. I think it's you know it's really important. There's kids in East Machias who've been smoking elwives to raise money for their school trip to Boston. You know when they graduate, and that's just that's a really important thing. In East Machias, for hundreds of years, smoked elwives this time of year were really an important thing, and I, and I see that resurging. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Coastal Conversations. Our show today is the, about the Down East Fisheries Partnership and the efforts to restore fisheries and access to them in um, our communities. Um, my guests in the studio are Jacob Vandesandy from Maine Coast Heritage Trust, uh, Charles Rudledge from Sunrise County Economic Council, and Ann Hayden from Manomet. And I believe that we have Frank on the line from Lemoyne. Frank, welcome to Coastal Conversations. Yeah, hi. I made my living for about 35 years in the seafood industry here in the coast of Maine. Great. Losses of the end to urchin. And I can remember back in the, as late as 86, 87, a tractor trailer that Vic LeVette had loaded up all the boats out of Bar Harbor. Try that now in Bar Harbor. The fish were there. There's all kinds of industry that make inroads here in the Maine. And the, one of the biggest opto, uh, you know, oppositions of fishing industry in my mind right now is the cruise ship industry. They're changed the whole. They're making inroads even into Stonington, down where Robin Alden lives. They they want to start coming into Stonington, smaller cruise ships. You got to watch out for those guys. You talk about big business. There's big business right there, coming into the coast of Maine, changing the whole infrastructure, bringing Las Vegas to the mountains of Maine. It doesn't make sense to me. I didn't think people came to Maine to play slot machines. <laughs> But anyways, I mean, I hope you get my drift. And yeah. right now, there's more there's more people regulating fish than there are fish to be catching them. It's always been the way of the big player. Like the man who called the first time, the Monhegan, he hit it right on the head. It's all geared for the big players. When Robin got into the fishing business, regular coastal news, there was fish everywhere. You like to even on Bar Harbor, they had lots of fish coming. There's no fish licenses in Maine hardly at all. The Libby family out of Fort Clyde is probably the last standing 
fighting people that catch fish. I don't know where I'm going with this, except that <laughs> it's all about big business. Big business. I mean, look at, I mean, I can come to Maine, there was Walmart. Just look at the dollar stores that in the last six months, they're everywhere all of a sudden in Maine. It's about big business. Remember that. Big business. Frank, if I can ask you a question. You said that you were um, involved in the seafood industry. and I bought and sold it. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you did. salmon from the, down in east. Everybody sells out to the bigger people. It's just like the lobster fishermen. I got a lot of friends who are lobster fishermen. They're going to technology themselves right out of the business. Bigger boats. I'm a half million dollar boat these days. It's a dime a dozen. Bigger boats, more gear. There's no, they're not fishing. I hate that they're going to get irritated at me. They're not fishing. They're farming. They feed the lobster, and they got boats that go 3 million miles an hour to go there and get them. They're going to fish themselves out of existence with their million-dollar boats. I think, I think uh, Ann wants to jump in and say something. They want to be, they want to be bigger. So, Frank... Everybody wants to be Walmart. Frank, the, even the, the fishermen. The difference with the lobster fishery is that lobstermen cannot sell their licenses, and they have no quota that they sell. But you're right in that you think of the number of lobsters we're landing. The the uh, landings have basically quintupled in the last thirty plus years. Where are those lobsters going? It is big business. A lot of them are now going to China. So you have this fascinating industry that is owner-operator. They're all over the coast and, and trying to buy up fishing plants all over the coast. And I don't think it's Chinese, but they're all up and down the coast making inroads into the lobster business. Watch out. Thanks for your call, Frank. Watch really? out for Donald Trump. He's coming for your lobster. <laughs> Appreciate your call. Um, thanks, Frank. Uh, Charles, uh, Frank talked a little bit about the changes that are happening literally on the waterfront in terms of um, selling and buying fish. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the shoreside opportunities that are happening for fishermen to have access to market, to sell their catch, direct to consumer, or sort of the what, what the picture looks like in terms of um, fishermen accessing the market, and that, that piece of the equation? It varies a great deal by fishery. Uh, I mean, the lobster fishery is very sophisticated um, with some smaller players, but some very large players, you know, that are integrated across the Northeast. Um, and they're extreme. And even the locally owned companies are very sophisticated and they're playing in the global market. You know, and even though they're working in an owner-operator fishery that's maintained as an owner-operator fishery because of the state legal framework. Um, and I, I think that that legal framework, you know, this has been mentioned several times today and, and Robin really hit it on the head. Um, that's the key point. I mean, we can see two thriving fisheries right now, you know, kind of out of the Gulf of Maine, the lobster fishery and the herring fishery. Um, and the lobster fishery brings immense benefits to coastal communities and to Washington County. The herring fishery, almost none, except as a source of bait um, because of the structure of that industry and where those boats are based and where the fishermen are from. Um, and we, you know, our coastal towns were built on the herring fishery and on the canneries. Um, so the structure of the industry, and in fishing, the structure of the industry is largely a result of the legal framework, I think is the key issue. And 
But we do have to be conscious that if – well, I'm not sure if it's fair to say the market because the market's helped by the legal framework in some of these situations. But it is possible for power um, and especially large businesses to you know, create a system where they are going to win. Um, and I think that that is where opportunity is in state-regulated fisheries is Maine is small enough and our fishermen, we have enough of them left and they're vocal and they're organized, especially in the lobster fishery, um, that we really can influence the legal framework to preserve small businesses. And I know from our standpoint of worrying about the economy of Washington County, I mean, small businesses are essential. Um, you know, it is very likely if these fisheries are centralized, it's, you know, it's probably, they're probably not going to base their operations out of Lubeck or Eastport or out of Jonesport. Um, you know, they'll move down to southern New England like so many other businesses. Um, so having a local fishery, you know, a day boat fishery, um, and a fishery that's kept to a certain size by the legal framework, I think is essential for our communities to still have access to those resources. Absolutely. One of the things that uh, I think people don't realize is that we're not just restoring the fisheries for the fishermen. The, the fishermen are critical to restoring the fisheries. And that's counterintuitive to people. Wouldn't it be better if we just close things and, and um, just let the fish recover? But these recovery processes are very hands-on. When Tom talked about treatment and recovery and he was talking about uh, opiate addiction, it's, the, it's kind of the same thing in alewife and groundfish recovery where you need a lot of people with eyes on what is happening and who is out there, the fishermen. We, the government is not in a position to, uh, to um, hire an army of scientists to go out there and collect that kind of data. And that's, that's key. And for those fishermen to be there, those benefits need to accrue to the coastal communities. Just to, just to comment, thinking about this globalization of fisheries and, and the unique opportunities we have in Maine, the, the reality of it is, is the bigger is better model has not worked when we look at fisheries worldwide. So this is, there's collapsed all over the world in the oceans, and the state of Maine is one place where we have some examples of fisheries that are doing well. So I think we are in a unique position. And what and that is certainly the goal of this group is to bring it back to small scale owner operator. And I and I think we have some leverage. You know, National Marine Fisheries Service has to look at themselves and how things have been conducted to date and and, and realize that it hasn't worked well and that we need to look at other models. And I think that that's that's what we're trying to do here in Eastern Maine. So what can the <clears throat> average person do to become engaged in these kinds of discussions? Well, the, the most important thing they can do is buy local fish. Mm-hmm. And that often requires a conversation because if you go in a restaurant or even in a store, uh, it's not clear where the fish are from. But the, to the extent that people ask their uh, ask for locally produced fish, that creates demand and the local foods movement in general is is a boon to what we are trying to do uh i think the other thing they can do is serve on their local shellfish committee they can serve in the the communities that have an alewife management committee they can serve on that they can serve on their coastal on their um conservation committee uh they can go to our website 
um, downeastfisheries.org and see the groups that are involved. And um, that's what I would suggest is is check out what the Sunrise County Economic Council is doing, what Maine Coast Heritage Trust is doing. It's, it's, it's a fascinating and varied and comprehensive amount of work that is going on related to fisheries. Go ahead, Jacob. What can people do? I mean, I would echo what Robin said around getting involved. Clams and alewives are actually really unique um, in the state and and across the region in that that they are municipally managed. So these are locally managed fisheries, and and I encourage people to get involved in their local fisheries because there's a lot of opportunities, but it takes a lot of work. So, for example, with these river herring, there are – there are some commercial harvests in, in Washington County, but there are multiple rivers that are not being harvested. And in order to do that, you have to document the fish are coming back. You need to open up the connectivity. That takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of there's people like over on the Bagadoose, Bailey Bowden, and uh, and folks from Penobscot East are really working hard to count the fish so that they can bring back that commercial harvest. And so I encourage people to get involved in their local communities and, and look at the rivers and streams in their communities. And they're looking for volunteers right now because the fish are running now to, to go out there and count fish. It's fun. Charles, any parting thoughts about how folks can engage? Well, I would definitely agree with the getting involved at the town level, um, you know, for any town with clam flats and a municipal ordinance to get involved in their shellfish committee. And for the towns that are at the head of tide on rivers that have lakes, you know, those are the towns where commercial fisheries are really have a possibility for alewives. Um, I would also, I mean, it takes a lot of effort and time, but to try to pay attention to the every, you know, every time we have a new legislature, there are dozens of bills that attempt to tweak or actually occasionally completely reshape a fishery and how it's managed. And I would really encourage people to pay attention. Um, and to talk to their local legislators um, and to talk to, you know, their friends, I mean, their friends and family who are fishermen to find, you know, to keep track of the issues and try to let their, you know, their elected representatives know what they're concerned about. Because this is, I mean, this is a product, it's a social product and it's an economic product, but it's also a product of state law. Um, and it's really important that people as citizens stay engaged. Thank you. Um, Amazingly, we've come to the end of our hour uh, here on Coastal Conversations about the Downeast Fisheries Partnership and their work helping sustain eastern Maine fishing communities forever. Um, I'd like to thank each of our guests for your time and your good work. So thanks to Robin Alden for calling in from Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries, uh, Ann Hayden from Manomet, Charles Redelich from Sunrise County Economic Council, and Jacob Vandesandy from Maine Coast Heritage Trust. I also wanted to thank our callers, Matt and Tom and Ty and Frank. Really great to have you guys jump in and contribute to the conversation. Um, thanks also to uh, Amy for engineering our show. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. And actually next month, we are going to be talking about sea-run fish restoration efforts in the region. So we'll hear more about some of these topics. Our show's theme music is A Following Sea. It was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Um, Stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning. Mm -hmm.